0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Breaking a Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I am Tim Jackson here with TC Zenka and just what we promised you in last week's episode, we went through the mad dash that was the busiest trade deadline ever and maybe the most exciting on top of how busy it was and now we want to process it just a little bit. Before we do that, TC, how are you as you started to... Uh, you know, sift through all of this, all of the static that came through in the deadline. I'm great. This is the best time of year. We got the trade deadline, which is, you know, like Christmas. We
1: had the NBA draft right at the same time. (laughs) So I'm trying to get back into that, figure out who those players are. NBA free agency has started now. There's a lot of player movement. Baseball now is kind of settling in. Now it's just a matter of watching games. letting the competition hit, but I don't want to let the the trade buzz passes by quite yet, because that's kind of, that's what the fun is, right? Talking about where these guys go, what matters. Give, give it it our is thoughts, the fun thoughts, Just part. dreaming on it.
0: <laughs> we're we're going to do some dreaming when it comes to some of this today, because you actually framed up uh, framed up a lot of these trades in terms of how they could be perceived once we have the chance to look back on them. So we're going to try to do some crystal balling, some fortune telling here. Uh, and the first thing we're really going to look at is which trade that just happened that could mirror the 2017 blockbuster with Jose Quintana, where Quintana went from the White Sox to the Cubs for Eloy Jimenez, Dylan Cease, other guys are in there. Uh, but ultimately, we're looking for a guy whose stock was enormously high as he was traded, ace level, star level type player who bottoms out and then maybe a back end piece whether as a starting nine, bottom of the rotation uh, type of piece, or or less. So when we frame the, the last week's trades in that light, TC, which ones stick out to you in terms of who could be this year's Quintana, who doesn't quite live up to the expectations we have? To me, the guy is Andrew Haney, without a
1: doubt. I mean, what we're really looking for here is... I mean, Haney was never really at the level that Quintana was prior to that trade. I mean... No. Well, the reason I wanted to do this in the first place was because it's so hard to look at these trades when they happen and not be, you know, prisoners of the moment as we say now. But you know, I wanted to kind of look back and see how these past trades that we've seen in the past, like how they actually worked out, how much effect are these deals can we expect? And you know, looking back in Cantana, Cantana was a real ace, like he was a true ace. I wrote about this uh, over the winter about how the Cantana trade. Paralleled the the Blake Snell trade like so much to me because we forget how much of an ace Jose Quintana was when he was with the White Sox, but his numbers very closely rivaled those of Blake Snell in Tampa, which I wrote about for Pitcher List way back when this, this winter. And then he very quickly just wasn't that guy in Sh- with, with the on the north side with the Cubs, and you know now he's a bullpen piece for the Angels, but he he was kind of a slow decline where by the end of his time with the Cubs, he was just a backhand starter. And Andrew Haney has some of those vibes. I mean, the Angels have been listing him as their ace for years and years, which is just so sad. And it's such a such a bummer for them. And it's not like... I don't know that they actually think that he is an ace or was an ace or at any time. was. He's just the best pitcher. He's been their best starting pitcher for a long time, which speaks to where they're at and where they've been at. But I don't know that he is really more than a back-end starter, a fourth, really a fifth starter on a playoff team. And if the Yankees are – I mean, I don't think the Yankees are really expecting him to be a front-level starter. I I mean, that's the difference here that makes Haney Haney not a real, um, you know, analog for Quintana is that, like, the Yankees' expectations aren't that high. But in terms of the public sphere, what we've thought of Haney for a long time, I think he's kind of due for a rude awakening where once he's taken out of those initial – the initial expectations and the hubbub of of how we got to know him as this like frontline, supposedly frontline pitcher with the angels. Then now he very quickly becomes just kind of, we start to see him, you know, as he is, which is just a fine, a, you know, serviceable starter
0: who we don't feel all that great about. He's a fourth or fifth guy. And to, to kind of frame this up additionally, if we look at Quintana's numbers, not only was he like a top-level guy, but for a lot of years in Chicago, he got better and better each year. Uh, you know, his, his WAR numbers came in around the same, but he was starting to tweak things in terms of his walks, in terms of his strikeouts, even just his plain old pitch approach. Uh, before you get to any of those details, he was getting better and better each year, and was peaking in 2017. In 2017. He really did start to put it together more than he ever had before. He had his highest strikeout percentage. He had his highest uh, walk minus or strikeout minus walk rate. And then he just—I mean, he was immediately not so great with the Cubs. He had two years as a subpar starter, or you know, really like a like a good number four, uh, and then turned into a bullpen piece who managed ten innings in 2020 before being, uh, you know, before being acquired by the Angels for this season. And Heaney is good, I think, in that respect. You're talking about rude awakening. I think rude awakening is really the, the model of what we just saw in his first start on the second of this month, just the other day, where he went four innings for the Yankees in Yankee Stadium as a fly ball pitcher. He gave up four home runs. He struck out four guys, but, like, really, <laughs> not, not what you really want. He, he gave up four home runs, and, and that's really maybe, like, the bottoming out right away. He won't do that every game. But that's a pretty brutal introduction to New York for a fan base that is like really on edge right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can't have a one-to-one home run to strikeout ratio. I don't care if you're <laughs> striking out 300 guys in a season, that's that's not going to fly. Like you, it doesn't matter how many guys you strike not out. not what you want. You home run for, for every strikeout you get. So yeah, I mean, like you said, I don't know that it's going to be that bad for him every time. Um, but I do think that he's not really going to help the Yankees all that much. He'll suck up some innings, but uh, you know, otherwise he's not going to help them that much. Is there anyone else that fits this mold for you of, a, you know, kind of a guy who's, who's maybe had a higher stock in the past and is maybe set for a, a kind of a recalibration with his new club?
0: None who really stick out. Uh, I'm going to take a stab at a couple with Anthony Rizzo, those same Yankees, and Starling Marte with the A's. Marte, it's really more about his... His age, he's already 32. He has a pretty extensive injury history. He plays a very difficult position uh, in center field. He does it really well, and that's why part of why he's so incredible. But uh, it, it seems like he could be in a position to fall rather quickly just because that's not necessarily a skill set that ages well, right? The, the center fielder, um, you know, often they age into other positions, corner outfield spots, uh, you know, if he keeps getting hurt and he's nicked up every season, missing chunks of games. Not always the most productive thing, and um, really brings to light why the why the Marlins were maybe only willing to offer what was it, thirty million dollars over three years? Yeah, still shockingly low and like borderline insulting. But uh, you know, somebody's going to pay him, and they might not quite get the time that they expect. And Rizzo, I just feel like the Yankees really are on edge. The fan base is on edge. The front office seems on edge. We talked about this the other day, and that their acquisitions this deadline. Makes sense in the in the sense that like of course you want to add good players but you, like they they're kind of adding guys where they already have guys right like they're adding more of what they already had instead of what they necessarily needed most and they probably needed pitching one way or another they didn't get a lockdown reliever they didn't get a lockdown starter they got Andrew Heaney and yeah that's that's the most notable one on their side uh, Rizzo also himself is what almost thirty two and. He's probably not signing there again in the, in the offseason, or maybe he is. Who knows? I mean, they were looking to move Luke Voigt, and that didn't work out. Um, he's himself. He's he's walking and striking out. Same as ever, his his isolated slugging is where it always usually is. Uh, those are two, I think, just stuck out based on the aging curve that we could expect overall, not necessarily what they're doing as individuals. Yeah,
1: I like Rizzo more than you, I think, to the Yankees. I, I, I agree that I don't think it's what they need. Uh, I think he'll be good with them. I also don't think he'll be enough to get them where they need to go. You know whether or not they resign him will be interesting to see. Rizzo strikes me as the guy who could, as the type of guy who could be happy anywhere. So I, I can see him being there and being like, "This is the best group of guys ever." And I love being a Yankee now. And this is this is who I am now. At the same time, you know they gave up a lot to get him for for two months. Considering that's not it's probably not going to get them in, into the playoffs or to making a deep playoff run. So we'll see Marte. I like that. I think that's an interesting call, especially because the injury history, the only other guy that I was thinking about along the same lines as Marte is Trey Turner of the Dodgers because of the, because of the injury stuff. It's not so much that I think that Turner or Starling Marte is going to be less good than we think they've been just that their impact might be less uh, significant, right? If, if either of those guys do suffer an injury that's going to be a problem. Turner is already, and uh, in Trey Turner's case, he's already already has COVID, and so you know he's a he's they have him for next year, but for this season they only have him for two months, and already they're going to lose ten days of that, and then it'll be working it back in, and he is the guy who gets hurt, and yeah. we'll see what happens. If you know if they stay healthy, I think they're going to be solid acquisitions. Uh, I think marte is a is a better butt for for to fit this mold in terms of like, yeah, he could have a dud two months, especially in that that spacious ballpark. like he could definitely you know go you know two seventy two you know three fifteen three seventy five for a for a two month stretch and not be all that much of an impact bat for them. And if he gets hurt, who knows? like I, you know I think he is still a, a big time player, especially because there aren't many center fielders in the game who are competent so it'll be
0: interesting how much he makes in the offseason but uh yeah i think he's a danger for the spot i think what's interesting based on our picks here is we're scoping out relative age and injury history uh, so, uh quintana was 28 when he was traded between the cubs and the white Sox, and um uh, he didn't really have an injury history he was actually really really steady he threw 200 innings for four straight years before that uh, but he is around the same age, and sometimes guys just fall off. We we don't know the aging curve the way we think we do, and I think that's really interesting, those names, the way that we've uh, kind of shaded them here, which really thinks, you know, if we think the other way, in terms of a dud who was acquired and really performed better, we have Cole Hamels in 2018, who those same Cubs acquired from the Rangers uh, for guys who are really... Inconsequential at this and point. And we're back then. I mean, they, 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 Eddie Butler and Roll, yeah, and Roy back Lacey. then even
1: Eddie Butler was a 27 year old reliever. I yeah, mean, you could dream on Riley Lacey all you wanted, but it yep. was it was a throwaway return even even back then.
0: Yeah, and and you could kind of sense that Hamels had more in the tank, even if his peripherals didn't say <clears> it. Like he had the 4.72 ERA, he had the five, two fit. uh and then he goes and throws three three ball with the Cubs uh, over the course of 200 plus innings in a season and a yeah, half Yeah, he was right? amazing for that first um, half, half so really season too. when it comes to like i, I didn't i didn't split him oh, up yeah. but i'm sure you remember that that like half oh, a yeah year, it was like that. it was like
1: a 212 era for 16 starts or whatever it was like wow you have not been trying at all in texas have you you've just been really phoning it in for the last two years in texas haven't
0: you cole he's he's a dude he's a dude who really needs to be comfortable i think and um I think the end of his Phillies tenure as a 30 year old was weird. Uh, you know, with the Rangers, he was fine, but like that, you know, like they were kind of in the midst or at the end of their competitive cycle. Right. So he was, it it was just a weird situation. And I think being uh, with the Cubs in 2018 was really like reignited him in some sense. And he was, you know, he had some health that he maybe hadn't had the last couple of years. Um, and I remember getting that, like seeing him do that, and being like, "Well, the Phillies missed out on uh, another way to optimize a return for a veteran, <laughs> but uh, maybe we can have that discussion another time or in a few minutes." But who sticks out in terms of this opportunity? The the veteran who could be primed to contribute more to their new team than they did their old team. TCU?
1: I mean, this one's I, th- I think it's tough because in, in Cole Hamill's case, it was it felt super obvious at the time that it was going to happen, at least to a certain degree. Like you said, I mean, Hamill strikes me as kind of the guy most similar to Max Scherzer that we have in terms of pictures that I can think of in terms of that like real bulldog mentality. Like he wants to compete, like he's quieter about it, but he's a dude who like really wants to be in the most highest level situation. It's like in Madison Bumgarner is like that. Scherzer is like, like, they want the ball. They want to be in those spots. And like, they don't really have time for anything else. They're kind of serious dudes. Like, they're really very like Clayton Kershaw is, doesn't strike me as the most serious dude, right? These guys are serious dudes. Like they do not screw around. Like they don't want to, you know, talk about what show you watch on TV. They want to talk about baseball because it's baseball time and Hamill. So you could see that coming because he had had such a God awful run with the Rangers the last couple of years of just like inconsequential baseball in a park that was tough on pitchers. I don't know that I see that here necessarily. I mean, the obvious answer, is, is to go to the Cardinals because they just traded for all the veterans. And, you know, I mean <laughs> Every the, old the, the, kid, the Cardinals are amazing. They just, they think they're playing gin rummy and everyone else is playing baseball because they traded for a 36 year old lefty, a 37 year old lefty and a 38 year old lefty. <laughs> and uh and, and Wade of the Block and John Lester and Jay Happ. So, I mean, I don't, Lester's been in relatively competitive you know environments. I think if he still had another gear, in him, I think he would have hit it. Like I, 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 think he'll be good at times the way he's been the last two years, but I, I don't think he's there anymore. But I think he, you know he's kind of a safe bet. The guy, I, the guy I wonder about is, and and I don't know if it's the same like, you know, competitive fire thing, but just in terms of like, regressing to the mean is like, what about Jorge Soler? Like Soler's had an awful season with the Royals, just terrible. But dude's got legit oh, power. He can't play the field, but he's going to try to play the field. And it was kind of fun watching him in his first game, even the first ball that was hit to him. He was like running all over the place for it, but he made a fine play. And he's the type of guy that strikes me as someone who he could go on a power binge and all of a sudden he's, you know, he's looking like Adam Duvall. His also new teammate looked for the Braves in that stretch, like in that stretch for the Braves, uh, you know, a season ago or two seasons ago or one season ago, I think last year. And you know, his numbers have been so bad this year. Just to look him up: 228, 326, uh, is that right? No, 200, 296, 375, just 84 WRC plus. I mean, Jorge Soler with a 375 a slugging percentage, 175 ISO, like his 175 ISO isn't so far from his norm, but he had three straight seasons of being over 200, we ought to see more power from Soler. I wouldn't be surprised if we got a good couple of months. From him in Atlanta
0: I wouldn't be either I I like that pick for Atlanta for this exercise and Solaire does seem to be the type that needs to kind of run into a streak here I mean you mentioned his overall line for the season but up until the last month he was hitting 184 283 10 in 299 plate appearances so over the last month, even, he's picked it up, and he's hitting 262, 357, 639. That power is there. The ISO is over 375, and the Ks are down. The walks are up a little bit, and he does seem primed to help a team in that way. He does seem to have figured it out. Um, there was something, I can't remember what what was his deal was earlier this year, but something was solved or settled, whether it was like eyesight or, or some injury lingering uh, And I wish I could recall that off the top of my head. But we're already seeing him do it. So maybe in that sense, it's kind of cheating. But ultimately, Atlanta acquired like 42 different outfielders. So we don't really know how that playing time is going to shake out. Like, obviously, these guys are all going to get some sort of at-bats. But Soler seems to be the one who could really be doing uh, the most damage or make the most of this opportunity because we have seen him in the past, like you're saying, light things up. It's he's just two years removed, so really one full season removed from a three and a half win season, uh, where he did ISO over 300, where he did OPS uh, pushing, you know, actually over nine, and and that's intense. That those are intense numbers, and and he's getting back there now. Is there a team that he could help more than, than Atlanta right now in the scope of the the messy, sloppy, disgusting NL East? Solaire? Is there, so is there a team yeah. that's so- like, or, or just like, can you imagine a team having acquired a player who could be having an impact more than he might in a specific context of the NL East? Um, in the NL East,
1: no. Um, well, Javi Baez. I can see Javi Baez <laughs> doing it for sure for the, for the Cubs. Yeah for the Mets, like how Bias could go on that kind of run. He also looked like he tweaked a hammy or something yesterday and me sitting in the game. So he was fine. But, um, I don't know that I see the, uh, I mean, I don't know. Kyle Gibson, you want, you want, you want Kyle Gibson? Do you want to Philly? Will that make you feel better? Is that what you're going for? Is it, I can give him to you. Kyle Gibson could go on a run. He, no. could, he could have a, he could have a moment.
0: Uh, yeah, I could. Do, I could go with him. Not, I I I actually thought Freddie Galvis could have a moment for the Phillies. Um, What what kind of moment? I thought Galvis could do it just because Didi's (laughs) been—I don't know—where he hits like a home run and nobody pays attention to that. Like he strikes out every other AB or rolls it over to like second base, Um, and maybe he makes a couple defensive plays that catch the attention of fans or uh, you know sports radio types because again the defense has been so terrible. Uh, I could see that kind of happening. But again, what kind of moment Freddy Galvez relative to the impact he could have, the kind of moment he might create uh, is not necessarily a, a needle mover. <laughs> so I, I think Soler is the best bet in this context. Yeah. Uh, you know, fun to mention the other guys, but I think Soler I mean, is it. I mean, I'm not a Galvez believer. That said,
1: that said, he is the exact inverse of Jorge Soler. So if- or so, can be a guy why not why not galvis yeah like he's the exact opposite player he's got a good glove and shouldn't be in the lineup and if they could make one you know crank type of monster player together that would be great and they'd you'd have a really good player on your hands um a uh, designated no. fielder freddie galvis yeah so but you know we'll see i don't think that's gonna happen so yeah i guess we can go with Solaire for now on that one so was the, the next one. the next one's my favorite cuz it's from the 2019 deadline the Daniel Hudson trade. Daniel Hudson middle reliever, kind of a setup man for the Blue Jays. He's been set, he'd been setting up some games that year. Cast off injury Tommy John guy who who'd come up as a starter, got moved to the pen with the Diamondbacks. He gets traded at the deadline to the Nationals for Kyle Johnston, totally off the radar. The Nationals actually made a number of bullpen additions. Then Ronas Elias and Hunter Strickland both got more play than uh, than the Daniel Hudson pickup. And I just want to read this from from Jeff Todd of MLBTR, my colleague there. I, I'm happy to throw him under the, under the bus here. He wrote, Hudson, Hudson emerged <laughs> as a trade candidate after throwing 48 innings of three ERA ball for the Blue Jays this year. Unfortunately, it's questionable whether Hudson can sustain that effort down the stretch. No doubt, the Nats don't expect Hudson to dominate so much as to provide serviceable innings. Now, he's not wrong. He was not wrong, but it did turn out that the Hudson ended up being a key reliever for them. He ended up being their closer down the stretch. He had posted a one ERA in 25 innings, saved six games, saved four more in the playoffs, closed out Game 7 of the World Series, became a big-time guy. So what we're looking for here is, is there somebody a reliever probably? But you know, we can go other positions positions if we wanted. But someone who's who might see their stock rise as they get kind of bumped up the bullpen hierarchy for their new team. Somebody who you know, typically we think of closers being bumped down into a setup role because that's what makes sense, right? You you know, the Craig Kimball situation. You require a second closer, so somebody has to move into a setup man role. But in Hudson in Hudson's right. case, he was actually a setup man who up into a a closing role, so. You know, is there somebody out there that you can think of that uh, got moved this deadline who might actually find a bigger role uh,
0: for his new team? When I approached this idea, I approached it with relievers in mind, mostly because they do strike you as that kind who do just emerge for a couple of months or a year and fade it back into some cave for the rest of their career, right? Um, Not that, that Hudson is necessarily doing that this year. I mean, maybe this guy this year, as I'm thinking, as I'm talking, is Daniel Hudson. Yeah. Maybe it's <laughs> Hudson again. Yeah, maybe Padres. it is Hudson again. He could, he could end up being in uh, you know, closing
1: he, games. You never know. What happens to Melanson if
0: something were to happen? God forbid. It, it, well, that and on top of that, the um, the Padres, a lot of them came up. In particular, their bullpen came up in uh, some some whiff rate stuff. I was just looking at since the Sticky Stuff official crackdown. A lot of their relievers have lost whiff rate on their four-seam huh. fastballs. Uh, Tim Hill and Drew Pomeranz and, uh, you know, even Chris Paddock has lost it. Joe, uh, Joe Musgrove and, and Snell have lost it in the rotation, like, a lot. Lost big percentage chunks. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Hudson does get some run once he's healthy, uh, although that, that would be a lot of fun. The, the situation I really thought of, was, again, was really the, the fragile situation with the Yankees. Of course, nobody's supplanting Chapman at the end of the games there for them. Uh, Jonathan Loizaga has been great. Chad Green and Zach Britton have nasty stuff. They got Clay Holmes. Uh, But I was thinking, I guess, uh, well, Clay Holmes could be it, or Joely Rodriguez could come in and pitch some really critical innings. Uh, You know, if their starters continue to give them trouble and they burn through their bullpen, and you see Joely Rodriguez uh, pop in the games, where this year he's gotten into 33 games, uh, he's only he's pitched fewer than 30 innings, so you know how he's being used. He's coming in to get a guy out to end innings uh, occasionally. Uh, the thing he would have to do, though, is cut down some of his walk rate, which he's done over his last few major league campaigns. Uh, 2017 with the Phillies, it was 11.2%. Uh, last year with Texas, it was 96 This year again. Again, pretty similar, but down. The situation is ripe for a Yankees reliever who's new to show up and really like kind of um, uh, you know entrance the moment.
1: Yeah, I like that pick a lot. And Clay Holmes, I think, could be one of those guys too. They're gonna have to rely on these guys because they didn't get any big closer. Garrett Cole now has COVID. It's it, they're gonna have to really lean on the bullpen if they're gonna do anything. So yeah, I, I think Duely Rodriguez is a uh, is a great candidate. Uh, you also mentioned, um, or you wrote here, uh, Tony Watson for the Giants. I like that pick, too. I feel like he's a guy who, you know, he's comfortable yeah. with the Giants. He's been there forever or was had been there for three years before this year. Right? And you could definitely see him getting significant yeah. time there with the Giants. It feels like he is such a Giants style of guy. Uh, another guy I might mention is, uh, you know, he's not going to see major He's, gonna, he's not going to get like closure time, but Ryan Tepra of the, of the White Sox now, like he's a guy who's going to be more in the spotlight, even though he's down a, a notch in terms of his importance. Like he's not even going to be setting up games the same way he was with the Cubs, but these games are going to matter. Now the games with the Cubs kind of didn't. And, uh, you know, he, he's got, he's, he can be a key, key, uh, bullpen arm for them come Playoff time. I'm not sure they'll need him a whole lot down the stretch here, but I think he's a guy who could get you know one of those ESPN profiles early in the the ALCS or whatever after he's you know thrown six scoreless through the first round of the playoffs or something. So that's a guy I like there.
0: I could see that. I like Tepero there too. The one reason I left him off my considerations was just because I, maybe it was because of you because that's how I've known he's been so good this year. You've talked up that Cubs bullpen a lot. Uh, and I know that he wouldn't be closing out games necessarily, right? So he wouldn't be getting the shine. And I already know, or I already, you know, you provided us that context that he's been so good. Uh, that would be interesting, though, to see how that the spotlight does impact him. Uh, not necessarily like, ooh, will he, will he, you know, maintain his composure under the brighter lights, but more so like, yeah, getting the shine. Uh, I think that's an interesting way to phrase it. I think, I guess a lot of the issues with these guys so far is that they've walked a lot of batters like Clay Holmes and Joely Rodriguez have both walked a lot. Tony Watson has walked more than he has ever this year um, or, you know, almost ever in, in gosh, close to a decade. Um, While he's still not striking out almost anybody compared to the last few years Uh, or, you know, he's in the neighborhood, but he's definitely, he, he seems to be a lesser version of himself. Uh, and that's not really the case for Tepras. So I guess he could have a leg up in that sense uh, to advance past these guys in the context of being that reliever who does shine because he's, he's already been really good. And now it's like, who's going to pay attention?
1: Yeah. But, but I think that's a great point because you are looking for some kind of, you know, some place to improve. And that is, that's what happened with Hudson. If I recall, Yeah, Let me look it up real quick. He started when he came to Washington, he stopped walking guys so much. Yeah. So in that half season in 2019, you know, he has a 7.7% career walk rate with Toronto that season. It it ballooned actually up to 11.1%. And then with Washington, it dropped to 4.1%. That was what made the difference for him. And this year it's been the same thing back to 5.5%. When he's been really good, it's been because he's controlled those free passes. And so, like, I think that's the area where these guys could unlock another level for them. And, you know, we just have to see, is there something that, the Yankees have with Rodriguez or, or any of these guys that that they can just figure it out for whatever reason. And if they do, then there's some real possibility for them to be, you know, who knows closing out game seven, of the world series.
0: Relative to that. I think it was, um, Harry Pavlidis or Jonathan judge. They were talking about relievers being able to give up free. passes In the sense that it is not a hit right, that you're not putting the ball in play, you are limited to, so they can be they can afford to be a little more volatile simply because uh, uh, they're looking basically just for the most efficient uh, possible, but when you're walking guy, mentioning, right, if they had elite, elite stuff, we wouldn't be talking about them in the context of being a guy who could step up, We'd be talking about them as guys who've already been doing it and who did the club add to supplement them uh, as opposed to kind of, you know, potentially just try to boost who they already have at closer. Uh, So in that sense, the walk rate could be so critical to these guys because none of them can really afford to give up more free passes than, uh, than the optimal amount because they don't have that electric lights out stuff and you know relievers are weird just by nature like maybe they see the stars a different way in this new city (laughs) or maybe they get a tip on mechanics who knows where it could go but i I do like the idea of looking for a guy who's cutting down the free passes as maybe a hint of somebody who could be doing this yeah i like that too i think that
1: makes sense and and because that's what you know come playoff time that's the thing you're going to need you can't be giving up those walks always come back to bite you in the playoffs right
0: Oh, yeah, always. That's uh, a Larry Anderson thing. <laughs> he would always be uh, the, the Phillies uh, radio color guy. Oh, those those walks to start innings. It's like, all right, Larry, we know by now. <laughs> we got uh, it. We got it. He's trying. He's trying. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> in another light, there is uh, possibly the Starling Marte trade of not this year, but last year, where he was traded in 2020 from the Diamondbacks to the Marlins, uh, you know, ultimately, the idea here is that this the player who's traded gets uh, gives the new team the short-term burst uh, and then is ultimately flipped for a prospect return come the next season. Uh, you know, you, you have here in our notes, a.k.a. the Sonny Gray trade uh, with the Yankees and then to the Reds, a.k.a. the Michael Givens traded to the Rockies and then to the Reds. In, yeah, uh, the Reds <laughs> love to get these guys on yeah. the second time round. I was going to say, is there a pattern here? Do they, do they off? They, I thought their moves were smaller. I don't know that they quite fit. But does anybody stick out to you in terms of the acquisitions that were made last week? Who could be this guy? Well, and also just to note before I give you a player, the Starling Marte trade was
1: a version of the Starling Marte trade because Marte had been traded first, of course, from the Pirates to the Diamondbacks, and the Diamondbacks took them. Right. So that's really the original Starling Marte trade that then became the Starling Marte <laughs> deadline trade. Uh, AKA the Sunny Gray, AKA the Michael Givens. Uh, but in terms of guy, I mean, I think the obvious one to look at is uh, Jose Barrios because he has a year left of control, but I don't think yeah. that he fits. And I don't think that you probably do either. Like, I don't think that there's a chance that the Blue Jays end up flipping him. Um, I think just, they're like kind he's, of.
0: He's so clearly what they need, right? Like, what, yeah. are they, what prospects are they going to gonna trade him for? They just traded away pitching prospects for him and they have a ton of hitters. So, like, yeah, I don't know what direction they'd be able to go.
1: Right, and he's exactly what they're going to need next year too. And I can't see them falling so far that they're really selling off pieces next year. So, yeah, I mean, I think if anything, he's the guy that they're going to be trying to extend. And I can't see him them moving him. So, I've one kind of under the radar piece I think that does that could maybe fit this is actually the guy that starting Marte was traded for, Jesus Lizardo. Like the Marlins have tons of pitching. They don't really need Lozardo to be a piece for them. But if he's the best return they could get from Arte now, he's obviously you know formerly a top five prospect in baseball. He's a guy that people really love. If they can get some positive run out of him here to kind of rebuild some of that value, they they have the prospects, right? They have they have a rotation, a young rotation in place, and they need they need bats. They're gonna have to do more of those Zach Gallon for jazz chisholm type of deals and you know yeah i could see Luzardo being flipped again
0: Luzardo is really interesting in a sense and i guess from the conversation i've been able to have since the 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 deadline and since these moves were made uh in conversation with a bay area fan and an a's fan and uh a giants fan he was saying you know good luck to them being able to fix his fastball shape because if they can do that then they've really got something but it just has not played the way you would expect it to in the majors, which is what we're seeing, right? That these dominant guys in the minors, when they come sh- and struggle at the major league level, a lot of the time it is because of their fastball shape. Uh, and it's coming out of their hand in a way that, like Sixto Sanchez, doesn't really generate the swing and miss or weak contact you'd think it would, given the velocity uh, so that's definitely a possibility. But then a Marlins fan, like you're saying, they're going to need bats. So he was saying like, okay, turn around and trade Pablo Lopez. Turn around and trade Sandy Alcantara right now. Do something with one of these guys because they will need bats. And so I'm kind of curious because uh, Alcantara and uh, and Pablo Lopez, are we talked about it last episode, both under 26. So they'll be 26 next season. They're going to start to get expensive. They might not quite be there yet. I'm curious how long they want to hold on to those guys. But if they think we can get better, younger, cheaper hitters for Lozardo than those guys, because they are getting pricier, I wonder if that's the move they make. That would be really interesting. The Marlins this season, uh, all credit due to them, have become a quietly very interesting team, even though they haven't been terribly competitive. Yeah, I mean,
1: I'm, I'm surprised they haven't been more competitive just because the, the pitching has been so good. And, you know, they've explored the scuttlebutt was that they had been exploring extension talks with Alcantara, uh, which would be great. And he's 25 and, you know, has two years of MLB service time. So the time would be now to extend him. And if you can, then he seems like he seems like the right piece to really build around. Pablo Lopez is maybe – is you know, definitely underrated. And so, I mean, Alcantara at the same time, as much as he seems to be the right piece to build around, he's also the, the kind of big time arm that could probably would probably net the most of, of right. all their guys right now. Um, but still, they're all so young. I mean, two years of service time. Like if you just talk about running them through to free agency and and even if they just let them all walk, I mean, you still have four more seasons of Alcantara and, and Lopez and, you know, Trevor Rogers is a rookie. So you have five more seasons of him. And, And of six though. And if you get him going and, you know, you know, Lizardo, you have another five seasons. So you have, you have a lot of time with these, with these pitchers to really turn them into something. But if you have extra, extra arms and you need, you gotta have bats somewhere. And the lineup is just, it's been barren. And maybe, you know, 27 year old Lewis Brinson is finally going to figure it out or 28 year old Jorge Alfaro is finally going to figure it out. I don't really believe those guys are the ones, but you know, Brian De La Cruz is going to get a chance here. In the outfield, came over from the Astros. You know, maybe he's something the Jazz Chisholm injury hurt because it seemed like he was going to be a corner piece kind of bat for them. And, you know, you'd really like to get him more time there. So, um, same with, you know, Jesus Sanchez. He's out now. It would be great to see him really, really just take a the position hit. there.
0: They need to hit, I feel like, on, like, one of these super loud tools guys, right? Like, Chisholm has been up and down this year, both in terms of health and production, Uh, You know, Jesus Sanchez strikes out a ton. Brinton whiffs a ton. Uh, Alfaro has never been the offensive force. You figured Brian De La Cruz, like you're saying, is kind of interesting because the Astros have traded away guys that they they didn't have the space for. Uh, De La Cruz has had a bigger year this year, and he is kind of fringy. Uh, Kevin Goldstein loves to talk up his makeup from his time with the Astros and, and what he's been willing to say publicly since... Uh, coming back into the public uh, sphere. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know. I, I like If they hit on just one, it'll be such a huge deal. And I guess take a lot of weight off of them in terms of the starter. They presumably would move eventually. Uh, but it does seem like they are in a good position. I think there are some other teams here who would do some really interesting things. And I would throw out the Padres and Adam Frazier just because... I'm very curious to see what they do. I'm curious to see how they feel about Tatis and his shoulder in the offseason. Uh, Haseon Kim has yeah. done really well, I think, or, or, you know, he's showing progress. He's not done really well, but he has shown progress. And I think as a guy who can play up the middle, Frazier, with, you know, second base and the outfield, uh, that, that that's desirable for a lot of teams. Uh, you know, even the White Sox adding Cesar Hernandez, like, clearly they, they were. Adam Frazier, right? And they're like, well, we can kind of use our assets elsewhere. But uh, I think that the Padres, especially with guys graduating, with all the trades they've made for pitching the last couple of years, that really hasn't worked out in terms uh, of their, their wins. You know, Blake Snell has blown up. Mike Clevenger has not thrown a pitch for them yet. Um, Darvish is getting older, so who knows what happens with him eventually. I feel like Frazier could be on the table because he does still have control. He's got, what, three or four years of control left. And he couldn't let them some prospects again. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that
1: much control. I think is I think is this year, next year. But you can you can still move them, and you know, he does like exactly fit their profile because he's exactly how sound Kim and Jake Cronenworth and Jerickson Profar and you know. On the one hand, yeah, you don't need all those guys. On the other hand, they clearly need another one because they just traded for him. So. Um, But yeah, I can see them moving Frazier again and trying to get something different for him. I mean, they have the pieces to move around, especially in the offseason when if they make another concerted effort to try to move Hosmer or Myers or at least upgrade on those spots, that Frazier could be a piece that you use to try to upgrade one of those spots. And, uh, you know, Frazier's got the -the bat-to-ball skills. But if if he's your everyday left fielder, you may be losing some value there you like you maybe he maybe doesn't have the the pop or the all-around offensive profile to to carry a corner outfield spot so like you know he's the guy that yeah you feel great about him if he's stepping in there but he's he's not really your you don't really want him to be your plan a and and right. in left field and and you know he doesn't really have a plan a spot on the 2022 padres uh because of you know Machado and Cronenworth and and Tatis in, in the infield. So he's definitely somebody that I could see fitting that profile as somebody that could get flipped. Um also what about what about Kimbrell? Right? Kimbrell, he's got I another year. That. Yeah. Why not him? He's yeah, he's, because we'll see how that works for this year. Do? But like 16 million White Sox wanna figure out some way to move some pieces around. They don't. It is a luxury that, like, yeah, you trade for now, but in the winter you maybe feel like we have Liam Hendricks, we don't need to right. all
0: work do we that's what i thought with kimbrell too i really loved this move the other day and i still really love it that they have the option to keep him next year and that they did give a lot for him relative to the control he has right he's he's under control for just next season and he is expensive and i mean can you think of a bullpen in, in recent memory that had two guys like that at the back end where it was hendrix and Kimbrel quality relievers for a full season?
1: No, for no, not at all. I mean, God, I'm trying to even it, think of any that would be come close.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, it would be really interesting roster construction for them to do that. And I think it fits given the rest of their team and, and how young they are and how, you know, by and large, cheap they are. Uh, they really have found the right veterans to go to. They've got Hendricks, now Kimbrel, even Lance Lynn has been huge for them, right? So maybe it's just more up their alley that they hold on to him. But I think that... Uh, you know, they could get creative if if they somehow fall out of it. I guess not. I guess we have to consider the AL Central, too, where it's like we've talked about the Tigers, probably not their year next year. Now the Twins have had to recalibrate. Do we really think Cleveland is going to be there right away next year with their refusal to add any offense at all around Jose Ramirez, uh, if they even keep him, right? Uh, I think a lot would have to go wrong for the the White Sox to trade C- Craig Kimbrell, but ultimately... I think they could get creative to find other ways to fill out their roster if they needed to.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, they. I mean, it's such a nice thing to have at this time of the year. The and the roster is so well put together already. They're not going to have that many holes necessarily. So, I don't know. I could I could see them moving him for sure. I think they don't have to though. Like they're definitely not in a position where they're going to have to, and they're happy to spend more money. Like they're, they're even, even spending 16 million on them. It's not exorbitant. It shouldn't be for a team in Chicago and they their payroll isn't butting up against the luxury tax yet. So it's, you know, the payroll for next year, 2022 right now is about where it is now, even before pay raises. So they're, you know, they'll, they'll have to raise payroll to keep all these guys, but it's not going so high that they can't do it. So, I don't know. I think it comes down. And honestly, I think in this case, it comes down to Kimbrell and Hendricks themselves. And like,
0: Oh, how well that mesh?
1: Yeah. And how did, does one of them try to push his way out? Cause the thing about Kimbrell, the only thing about Kimbrell is he's an all time great. He's I think sixth or eighth all time now in saves. And that might be something he cares about, like racking up those numbers. And if he's not able to do that on the regular in Chicago, maybe after the season, he does kind of, push for a way out and want to go someplace where he can be the guy and keep working his way up that all-time leaderboard. He's 32 and you know, who knows how high up that leaderboard he can climb if he's, but if he starts setting up games, that's, you know, that won't help him there. So I don't know if that's something that he cares about at all,
0: but it's, you know, it it might be. He's ninth right now, all time with 371 saves. Nobody else I mean, Kenley Jansen with 334 is active near him, but that's about it. Uh, Otherwise, everybody else ahead of him is also retired. So he could clear Joe Nathan this year if he really got on it and he had six more saves. I think that could be tough with the the way, you know, they're going to be splitting bullpen duties, but he'll be around that neighborhood. Uh, And then it's Dennis Eckersley at 390. And then it's really a while until you get to Billy Wagner, John Franco, 422, 424. But he could finish very, very easily you know, top three all time with Lee Smith around 478. Right. So I guess, yeah, that's something to consider if he does want those numbers. If he says, you know what, I am an all time great love that they thought of me, but also like I could go out and close games anywhere in a competitive situation. And, you know, it could really be a boon for him. And I guess in that sense. Yeah. I mean, if I'm him, you know, not that you wanna be a me first guy, but
1: you're already so high up the board, like I wanna keep climbing there. Like I wanna keep going. And like maybe I'll do it for half a season and and yeah, happy to do it for half a season. I'll give up I'll give up six potential saves or ten potential saves over the last two months for a chance at a ring. But next year, like I wanna get my
0: 30 35 and keep climbing that board and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, I think that's a great way to to look at it. Uh the only other category we had here a starter to be featured in the World Series. And here in the notes you have you Darvish, like he did with the Dodgers in 2017, Nathan Eovaldi with the Red Sox in 2018, Zach Greinke, the Astros in 2019. Uh, now, my ding-dong brain went to starting position players, <laughs> but <laughs> you pointed out a rather obvious one, and uh, who who would that be, TCU, could fit this, uh, this, this ultimate billing here of of a starter feature in the World Series. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's Max Scherzer. He's the, he's the obvious guy. He's the guy you expect will we'll have a chance, if one of them have a chance, to be the guy. I mean, I think it's interesting that, that, that there was this three-year stretch where there was a big-time name at the deadline. I mean, Avaldi wasn't quite the big-time name then that he's become since then, and that's kind of instructive that you know it could be somebody that we'd – don't think of yet as a big time name. Uh, Kyle Gibson, perhaps, could become one of these big time names <laughs> after his after his World Series run <laughs> with the Phillies, uh, in which in which case he'd be a perfect analog for for Aevaldi. Because if that were to happen, I think taking an L in the World Series and becoming famous for it would be a very current Phillies <laughs> era thing to do. So I think that that could work uh, in your favor. But otherwise, yeah, I think it's Max Scherzer. But we could also look to his teammate Danny Duffy, right? Guy who's been there before. Who knows? Maybe Danny Duffy is the guy who ends up. Notch a couple of wins in the World Series for the Dodgers.
0: I could imagine him doing it in relief. I think that's how they plan to use him. Or, like, somebody gets hurt and it's like, oh my God, where's Duffy? Get him in there! <laughs> uh, and You know, like, he gets that kind of role. Uh, the interesting thing about Scherzer in this position is actually, you know, we mentioned it a little bit earlier with these guys who have lost, uh, you know, they've lost whiffs on their four seam fastball with the Sticky Stuff crackdown. And... Uh, I'll have something out on MVP on this, so as you hear this, you can go and read it there. But Scherzer is one of those guys who has lost 4% whiffs on his uh fastball, his four-seamer, which seems like maybe a lot, but it's not at all. Like he's further down the list, especially when it comes to starters. And in context, he's still getting a an almost 31% whiff rate on his four-seam fastball. So like, basically, 31% of the time, Max Scherzer throws his four-seam fastball. Guys are swinging at it and missing uh, compared to any time they swing at it. So, it's it's really a unique situation. I think that he's really primed for a good opportunity there with the Dodgers. I mean, of course, any opportunity with the Dodgers right now in this current run is a good one. Uh, but, you know, he's the obvious one. I think Duffy would be the really fun one for the storybook aspect. Uh Especially in terms of like redemption type stories for Duffy and, and, uh, uh, you know, just what he's been through and even his personal history. I think he, you know, he had his DUI and coming back from that, things, things along that nature. I think those two make a lot of sense for starting pitchers.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't really think there were a lot of other starting pitchers dealt that have that kind of potential. So let's, let's not put your, your, you know, dummy brain to waste here. That's if it's a, (laughs) if we're talking position players, is there a position player that you, that you could see making a difference and being, you know, a difference maker in the world series. Maybe it starts a new stretch run of, uh, you know, a couple years in where a position player is
0: dealt and is featured in the world series. I think the, the obvious one for position players is Chris Bryant. Like we were saying the other day, he just fits what the giants do so well, plays numerous positions. He's probably like one of their top hitters right away. He came in and he, he hit a home run to left field, like his first game. Uh, you know, he's been there before. He's been in long postseason runs with yeah. teams who just find ways to win, right? He seems like he could be really well primed to do that for the Giants.
1: God, I mean, his resume just becomes insufferable if he wins the World Series with the Giants this year. <laughs> like, all the years of failing with the Cubs just get, like, forgotten immediately. And as you said, he becomes this guy who's, like, been through it multiple times. He's time-tested. Like, the, the tough veteran thing ends up, like, sticking to him so hard and i and i get it and it's you know it's true it's not his fault that the cubs have been bad the last couple years although it's kind of his fault because he's gotten hurt and not been the superstar that we expected him to be and that's kind of you know that's kind of a huge deal for the cubs but that said like man he sure would wouldn't that like fit his narrative just perfectly and and just make him just like so in the right about everything he's ever done, just to win a World Series with the Giants right away. I can I would, see that happening for sure.
0: I think I would, like, the the schadenfreude of it all, like, I would just delight in that. Not for, like, a, like I'm sorry, Cubs fans, but, like, hearing Jed Hoyer say, like, oh, well, we tried to work all these negotiations out with these guys and we wanted to extend them. They keep saying they wanted to be Cubs forever, and then they just didn't act like that when we started negotiating. He said all that while not disclosing the terms he was offering these players, right? So, like, like, come on, Jed. Come on, man. Like, Chris Bryant's been amazing. You have to know that he has to give the terms. Like, And I get it. Like,
1: I'm more on the Cubs side of this than most people. And, you know, I I get it that Bryant's been an off-injured, really tall, kind of brittle-bodied power hitter who's entering his 30s and maybe not the guy you want to commit $300 million to. I understand that but that's not what he's saying. And it just would be refreshing if that were, but when you know, that's the case, like, yeah, I don't know what the money was. I know you said you thought it was fair and I'm sure that there is a world in which that you can find comps for it, for whatever you offered him. And you know, the Rangers offered Joey Gallo, 84 million or whatever. So yeah, maybe compared to that market, you're offering him fair value, but Chris Bryant was never going to sign. That's the fact of the matter. Not he's the Scott Boris client. It's so rare for those dudes to sign. in. The other two are really questionable, and those those are the ones that I really want to know the numbers on. What did they offer Rizzo? Ultimately, the the numbers well, that Rizzo came out is what? In the past was like not was not five seventy, right? Something like that. Yeah, not all that impressive. Not not Starling Marte numbers. Not insulting, but you know, not near what you would expect for it to get it done. And then Bias is the one where I'm like, man, I don't even, I don't even know how to begin to value Bias. I don't know what they would have. I don't know what you could have offered him that he would have accepted it, that that he would have foregone the market for it and how over, over valued that contract would have, would have to be. Cause he's just, he's just a flawed player. He's a, he's a brilliant player, but he's a flawed player and it's just hard to know where he's going to be in the, in the market. Ultimately, like, is there a team that's going to throw 200 million his way? Good golly. I doubt it. I really don't think so, but is you know, but I have no idea what he's going to get in the open market. And it'll be interesting to see. I I kind of expect him to get a one or two year pillow contract in which case, like what the Cubs offered him, whatever it was is probably closer to being fair than we probably would think now at the same time, it also wasn't enough probably to extend him, which is the way of things. When you wait this long, like they should have,
0: if they wanted to extend him. they should have done it years ago. Right, it it should have happened last year at that point, and ultimately it didn't. And and that's why it's like, of course, Brian going out and doing this would just be like an incredible, like very player-centric, pro-player story uh, in that regard. The other one that sticks out to me is Joey Joey Gallo with the Yankees, because I think it would just make so many people's heads explode. Like when when the Yankees traded, I don't know if I said this last week, but when the Yankees traded for Joey Gallo, all I could think of was like Morty in Long Island, just his head just exploding like chappelle black white supremacist bit because he's just like it's another guy who strikes out so much yeah
1: i mean he he is he is what they already have it's kind of amazing now in regards to gallo i do have one question that's kind of neither here nor there in terms of these these uh these deadline (laughs) uh structures that we've set up so i do want to ask you which but it does relate to our old pal that we talked about earlier today as part of the uh uh, which one was the, the Cole Hamels uh, template uh, which of these new outfields are you most excited about uh, seeing defensively? Is it the, is it the Gallo judge Stanton outfield, or even I'll give you the Gallo Gardner and center Stanton outfield that they trotted out God. yesterday, or is it Duval Peterson, Jock Peterson and center and Jorge Soler, which was their outfield last night for the Braves. Those, I mean, I didn't even, I did not see Jack Um, getting regular run in center field, but I'm, I'm pretty shocked. So, which, which of those two, is uh more exciting for you to see on a regular basis?
0: I would still lean the Yankees just because that's so much like, like that's just like stupid video game power you put together. Uh, Atlanta's outfield, I think, would just be fun for giggles, right? Like that's like a (laughs) weird configuration. Side by side, I guess for entertainment value, I would go with the Yankees. And then for, for like silly value, I would go Atlanta.
1: Yeah, I mean, just the height and weight. And just to be like, can we, can we measure the <laughs> ground? There's a fly ball in the gap in Yankee Stadium. Can we measure the tremors? Like we have little mini earthquakes every time those three guys are running around out there. Just like those are some big dudes. I would not, you know, you don't want them running towards each other on a fly ball. Just like one
0: guy at a time. Call it bef- call it ahead of time. Who's going to go for this one? Uh, <laughs> I want to see somebody calculate home run. Length. You know, how they, like the home run derby, it's like the players hit 40 miles worth of home runs tonight. I want to see somebody say like, that home run was 55 Joey Gallows.
1: <laughs> yeah, why not? We should start measuring everything just in terms of the Yankees, Yankees outfield <laughs>
0: height. <Just laughs> put the three of them together. There's a true opportunity here. Uh, MLB, StatCast, if you're listening... Uh, we can get in on that ground floor with you. We can we can <laughs> pave the way. Uh, did anybody else stick out with you, TC, in terms of uh, position players potentially being the guy who comes becomes the guy? Um, you know, I think that. You know, I don't I don't know
1: that in this way necessarily, but I do think that the Eduardo Escobar pickup for the Brewers was a low key like big time move for them because that is a. He's a second big time bat for the for the Brewers, and they need it. and And you know their offense is is they're they're very raising, and they're going to do their own thing. And I don't really know what they're looking at when they're looking at numbers because it's not the same thing that most other people are looking at. And you know, but they have a lineup with Jace Peterson and Omar is batting third, and Rowdy Tellez they feel like is a playoff lineup, and that for some reason is a playoff lineup. So I have to trust what they're doing. But Eduardo Escobar is another kind of traditional power bat who is better than we probably give him credit for and is a kind of a mid-tier slugger but he's a he's a slugger he's got 23 23 bombs he's been doing it for a long time and yep. he's someone that i could see you know he could win a playoff mvp for the for the brewers on their way to embarrassing
0: the nl west i can see oh, that and that would be that would be so brewers if escobar was their mvp for the playoffs <laughs>
1: And for that matter, we can go brewers all the all the way up here. We can go back to the uh, the reliever that we didn't mention who could do a pull of Daniel Hudson. What about Daniel
0: Norris? For the Brewers. Daniel could... Norris or or John Axford.
1: Yeah, or John Axford. <laughs> <laughs> or or even John, even Axford. John,
0: John Curtis. John Curtis too. They got a whole host of them. Their whole bullpen is are yeah. Daniel Hudson. Yeah, it really so. is. Oh, the Brewers are so weird. <laughs> i don't know i don't know how
1: they do it i just i just don't i just don't understand it i look at their line on room just like what wait that's good that's what a good lineup is yeah, I'm so what's confused. happening oh god like willie adames is their like key centerpiece offensive talent how is that possible how is it possible that yeah, willie he's been incredible was batting eighth for the rays last year eighth for the yeah. rays like that's the guy who's the centerpiece of your first place juggernaut it's just like I don't know. I don't know. I just don't understand how they do it. But I, can I could,
0: uh, I could imagine transplanting. I don't either. That's what I'm saying. If you if you transplant this entire lineup to the Phillies, I feel like you would get the same mediocre. Like, what the f is this going on uh, in terms of what the team puts out on any given day? If it's like amazing or disastrous, I feel like that's what this lineup would be for another any other work, right? Like, and then for the for the Brewers, it's like, hey, this Motley crew really does know how to rock. Uh, just the weirdest bunch of guys possible. Uh, so I, I don't know. I guess let's look forward to the Brewers making it weird for everybody come October.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the Brewers Rays World Series that ends baseball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, we've gone through really hoping that we have framed the uh, the the possible outcomes for this year's wacky, wacky, insane, intense trade deadline. Uh, in terms of what we've seen the past five years or so we hope that you've enjoyed it we hope that if you have an idea about any of these trades along the lines of which we've discussed today reach out to us at breakingpodpl on twitter at breakingpodpl uh, at gmail.com in the emails and uh you know tc given that everybody knows where we can find the pod now online where can we find you
1: I'll be kicking around the usual corners. Uh you can find me in the Discord, the Pitcherless Discord, find me on Twitter at TC Zanka and uh check out and we'll be trade rumors. I'll have stuff up there uh, every weekend. Yeah.
0: And uh likewise for me in, in the Pitcherlist Discord, you could find me uh you know, by the time everybody's hearing this, you can go read what I'm gonna write up about uh fastball whiff rates for uh, starting pitchers and who's doing what lately, and who might be worth uh, looking into more. Um, you know, depth charts pieces come out every Monday. New angles. I just looked at the Nationals. We we talked about them. Uh, a side note on them: it's not Keybert Ruiz. As I was saying, it's Keybear, which is both adorable and delightful. Uh, so Aww. more fun Aww. reason for so Keybear Ruiz. Key Bear. Uh, so you can oh, find I love it. <laughs> so now they have Keybear and Keyboom. This yeah, that's what that's what uh, Shelly Shelley Restraite said that uh, on Twitter, uh, you know, of PL and, and Prospect uh, and all sorts of, I think, uh, I, so many sites that, that Shelly writes for, uh, does great work for. But she noticed that, Key Bear and Key Boom. So really adorable couple of dudes. Hopefully they both work out for the Nets. Uh, you can that's find perfect. me on Twitter at Tim Jackson Says. Uh, side note for everybody tc is wearing like a vintage 2004 phillies logo shirt that i noticed and was amazing so uh, all those great phillies teams you can bring back those memories i'm pretty sure we have beach towels of that logo somewhere (laughs) Uh, but we hope you you've all had the best time listening to us we've enjoyed you with us so much this week we hope you have the best week ever can't wait to talk more have a good one everybody